Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid, when face to face with you, but bold when awake. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that we are in... Some people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commands. Let's just pray again quickly. Father God, we thank you for your word and we pray a blessing upon it, we pray a blessing upon the reading of it and just be with us now as we look into it further. Father God, give us hearts that are open um, to your Holy Spirit and to what you have to, to work in us this morning, Lord God. We thank you for the way the Holy Spirit has already been moving among us this morning as we've come into this place, as we've worshipped together, as we've had conversations together and had community together, Lord God. And we pray that that will continue now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So there are a few, uh, there's a, a kind of a main point that I want to get to this morning. But the first thing that I've been wrestling with as I've been reading this over the past kind of couple of weeks and, and thinking about preaching here this morning was, and it probably reveals more about me than, uh, than I would care to, care to think about. But why was Paul bothering Paul has written this, and why is he bothering? He has spent time with the church in Corinth. That hadn't gone so well. He had written to them before. That hadn't gone so well. People within the church in Corinth were speaking out against Paul, questioning his leadership, his apostleness, if that's a word, claiming he was of the flesh, of the world, saying he was weak in person, but from a distance, he was being harsh. 
or humble when face to face, but bold towards you when I am away, they said. So why bother? Why was he investing? Why was he spending time writing to the Corinthians? You or I, we might have gone, I, I can't deal with this anymore. Or thought, is there somebody else that I could be or should be investing in now? This just isn't working. Nothing is happening. These people aren't open to working with me, aren't willing to working with me. But the simple answer is, he was bothering because he loved the church in Corinth. He loved the people in the church and he wanted to see the gospel at work there and the gospel being spread. And for me, this is revealed straight away in the very first verse that we read when it says in the in another translation it says I Paul entreat myself I Paul myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ Jesus was meek and gentle humble of heart and through this he demonstrated his love for us and the father God's heart for us Jesus was gentle and kind letting the children come to him reaching out to outcasts in society, healing them, forgiving them, dining with them. And when we talk about meekness and we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about a weak or infirm nature. We're talking about Jesus being humble enough to come and live on the earth and lowering himself to death on a cross. A meekness that meant Jesus died for our sins paid a price that we could never pay so that we might be presented before God as sinless, forgiven, and perfect in his eyes. And Paul wants to reflect this selfless, sacrificing spirit to the Corinthian church. He is desperate for them to see this. And later in verse 8, he says, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord God gave for building you up, and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Paul is wanting to build up the people in the Corinthian church, not destroy them. He wants to equip them, to strengthen them, embolden them in the gospel, build them up, not destroy them. He persisted because he loved the church. The authority he had was from God, and he exercised this with the gentleness and meekness of Christ. Power in persistence and love, not a tepid weakness. And the first thing that really challenged me as I was working through this was that maybe there are people in my life where I'm thinking this just isn't working, but we're just being called to persistence. We're being called to show that gentleness and that meekness. And it's through this scope of love for people and Paul's love for the people in the Corinthian church that we can look at what Paul is instructing them in order to build them up and hopefully to build us up this morning as well. We are going to be looking at spiritual warfare. Reading from verse 3 it says for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world 
On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension or lofty opinions, as it says in some translations, that set itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul is preparing the church for war, but not a worldly war. I was listening to a sermon the other week that said too often people think of the church as a cruise ship when we need to think of it as a battleship. We need to be prepared for this war. Paul wants the church in Corinth to know that it is already in a war. But he also needs it to know what type of war, who or what it is against, and what weapons it has to use. In the summer, um, myself and my family, I've got a wife and three young boys, we went on holiday to, uh, to Northumberland. Um, I don't know, England's Costa del Sol. <laughs> it's definitely not known. Um, and while we were in Northumberland, we paid a visit to Annick Castle. Does anybody know what Annick Castle's famous for? No? Uh, Harry Potter. And Downton Abbey. No crossovers involved, <laughs> as of yet, maybe in the pipeline, who knows. Um, but as we were there um, and looking around, we went into a room that was set up as a sort of armory. And there were all sorts of weapons, impressive weapons, especially for young boys looking for anything <laughs> that can cause some damage. There was swords, old pistols, old muskets, knives, bayonets, all very impressive to look at, but all completely outdated. And our visit also coincided with um, a, a reenactment weekend, which was quite something to, to look at. So there was, I don't know, close to 100, if not more people, um, all wandering around, um, dressed up as if they were from medieval times, ready to reenact a battle that had taken place at Annick Castle. And one of the actors or reenactment enthusiasts, I'm not sure what they would um, call themselves, um, stopped and spoke to me and two of, uh, two of my boys. And he showed us all the weapons. He was properly kitted out. Um, he had a sword, he had a, a knife, he had a, a pistol. And uh, he, he handed the sword over to my four-year-old. So, um, and at this point, he said... Don't worry, it's totally blunt, it's totally harmless. And I thought, you've not met my four-year-old. <laughs> that is a very brave um, assertion to have. Um, but, but my point is, no pun intended, with me, sorry. Um, my point is to ask, if you're in a spiritual war, are your weapons outdated? If you're in a spiritual war, are your weapons, like the sword that that man carried, are they dull? Are they blunt? Are they there just for decoration? Paul says, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. It may be a spiritual war, but you might still be trying to use worldly weapons. It may be a spiritual war, but you might still be trying to use worldly wisdom, worldly ways of thinking, with all its mixed messages. We know it's not a physical war, 
though there might be physical aspects to it, certainly. And one of the main battlegrounds for this war is in the mind. And in 2019, I found this out, the self-improvement industry, so self-improvement, world, this worldly wisdom, was forecast to grow to $13.2 billion by 2022. This is an industry that encompasses books, ebooks, audiobooks, online courses, coaching programs, webinars, masterclasses, conferences, apps, colleges, as they call themselves, universities, and more. Some of these courses will tell you to man up. Some of them will tell you to embrace your vulnerability. Some will tell you to get in touch with your feelings, while others will tell you to put your feelings in a headlock, give them a noogie, show them who's boss. Some will say you need balance, while others will say balance is compromise, but you must never compromise. Whatever the variation, the underlying message is the same, that the world expects you to be able to make a change or changes yourself, to overcome whatever problems are in your way. And within this come some of the arguments and lofty opinions that are mentioned in verse 5, that you need to look out for number one. You are a self-made person. You can achieve it all yourself if you just work hard enough, or are smart enough, or buy enough of these courses. This is the world's way of thinking about it, but these are not the weapons that we are being called to use. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And elsewhere to another church, this time in Ephesus, Paul talks about there being an armour of God. In Ephesians chapter 6 verses 11 to 18, it says, Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Paul talks here about weapons that the church can use as having the power to destroy strongholds. And these are not weapons of the world. And there are still more. As it said at the end there, there's prayer, there's fasting, there's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
There's putting your faith in Jesus and the promises that he has made. That he will never leave you or forsake you. By his death and resurrection, we are saved. We are no longer slaves to sin, but have been set free from their captive power. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. His grace is sufficient. The gospel is our weapon. The good news that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That whoever should believe in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. The truth that although we fight a spiritual war, it is one in which Jesus has already had the ultimate victory. John Dexter, in his studies on 2 Corinthians, says, To fight successfully against a superior adversary, we need some help. And God gives us that help. He is by our side, supporting and sustaining us. The first step in a successful battle plan is to come to God and say, I need help. I can't win by myself. I am weak and I need you. That is the heart of what it means to not fight in our own flesh. We don't trust in ourselves. Instead, we come to the only one who can give us the victory. And we come to him over and over and over again. Day after day, we come back to the cross, asking for his deliverance. And we must live in complete dependence upon him. That quote from Dexter mentions a superior adversary. Do we know who we are at war against? 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be self-controlled and vigilant always, for your enemy the devil is always about, prowling like a lion, roaring for its prey. He is a lion looking to devour. He is a serpent looking to deceive. The devil understands that a key battleground is our minds. He sets up arguments against God, like it says in Second Corinthians. Things like, did God really say that? Does God really mean it when he says that? He sets up strongholds of doubt against the word of God. Strongholds of doubt against ourselves. Can you be good enough for God? Think of all the things you've done. Think of all the wrong there is in you. He sets up strongholds of addiction, drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling, he sets up strongholds of pride, anger, lust, loathing of others and of self. These are strongholds that the enemy sets up and will do anything to maintain. But our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. In Hebrews, it says that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. When Jesus was being tempted in the desert, he countered every test and claim from Satan with the word of God. And this is a challenge to myself here this morning. Am I getting into God's word enough? Am I spending time with God in his word? Am I arming myself with it? 
Am I equipping myself with it? Am I letting it wash over me, nourish me, feed me, comfort me, teach me, guide me? Is it a daily occurrence? And the devil will make you believe that you are alone. The devil will make you believe that you are isolated, that you're the only one going through these things. Nobody else could possibly have this problem. But Paul isn't writing to an individual here. He's writing to the church, a church, a group of people. And that is what we have to remember as well, that we are a people. We are God's people together. That's why we gather around his word together. That's why we worship together, why we pray together and for each other, Lord God, is wanting us to remember that. He has placed us in community together and with him. This morning, I want you to think as well and maybe reflect and examine yourself and think what strongholds do you need destroyed? Because I really believe that there's a work here this morning that God is wanting to do. Thomas was talking about it a bit earlier as well. That there are people here this morning with a stronghold that they've been throwing themselves against. Maybe for a little time, maybe for a long time. Throwing themselves against a stronghold in their lives, some maybe desperately, where they're trying to do it themselves. They're trying to use worldly weapons. Or maybe they're just trying to ignore that stronghold and hope that it's not going to go away, that it's going to go away, that it's not going to affect anything else in their life. But my prayer for us this morning is that we take the time. We take the time and we have the faith to believe that those strongholds can be destroyed. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, if this is your first time hearing this, I want you to know that there is no stronghold that can keep you from him if you want him. He loves you. He wants you to come to him. If you don't know what, if you don't know how to do that, then please, there are people here that would love to pray with you. People here that would love to let you know about the love of Jesus. And there is no qualification needed. Paul says himself, if anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much. There is no hierarchy of forgiveness. There is no hierarchy in Jesus' love. I just want to finish what I'm saying this morning. I realize there's a lot in this passage that I probably haven't got to that I haven't touched upon but yeah I've just been really challenged 
um, over the pa past couple of weeks, as I've been looking at this, that there is a work that needs to be done in people's lives, in the church as a whole, around um, this spiritual warfare and around the strongholds that people have in their lives. Things that are acting as a barrier to the fullness of life that Jesus promises for his followers. I'm just going to read from Corinthians chap, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. The, the verse that gives us our, our series sermon heading where it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Mm -hmm. Father God, we we thank you for we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that is in your word. We thank you that it is a two-edged sword. We thank you that it has...